Worried about letting someone else pick out the perfect avocado for your perfect impress them on the third date guacamole? Well, good thing Instacart shoppers are as picky as you are. They find ripe avocados like it's their guac on the line. They are milk expiration date detectives. They bag eggs like the 12 precious pieces of cargo they are. So let Instacart shoppers overthink your groceries so that you can overthink what you'll wear on that third date. Download the Instacart app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. KMOX is at your service. Welcome to the St. Louis Composting Garden Hotline. Now, here's your host, Mike Miller on KMOX. Yes, folks, welcome and thanks for stopping by. We'll be taking a good gardening stroll shortly. If you have any questions, concerns, or comments in this sunny, nice day, 314 436-7900 or 1-800-925-1120. And uh, before Mr. Kelly leaves... You can go ahead and go. No, I, no, I, know I have some I real am, important things to I'm, do. I'm just hungry. <laughs> <laughs> my Please. First, down go. the hall to the fridge is my next stop. <laughs> so, uh, do you have a good New Year's? Yeah, it was nice. Nothing too exciting. Went to the Blues game on New Year's Eve. And uh, then I worked, of course, New Year's Day. Then Did watched some win? bowl games. No, they lost. You don't oh. want. Yeah. It was, oh, it was a fun game. I mean, it was okay. Not like the other night when they won. Right. But yeah, it was good. How about you? Um, yeah, we just kind of played it mellow. Yeah. So, yeah, that's the way to do it. Yeah, you I know? agree. Especially, you know, I'll be 70 in a couple months, so a 70-year-old's got to play it mellow. Yeah, you got to be cool, man. Yeah. You just got to lay low and, uh, you know, celebrate it like you're... Go out and light the fireworks and everything at midnight. Did you do that? No. No. Bang pans? <laughs> I remember when I was little, you used to go out and bang pans. Right. Yeah, and then, you know, now mom would be, hey, they're right. all dented now. Well, you know. Yeah, a lot of people noise. used to shoot fireworks in our neighborhood, but suddenly that last couple of years, that's... Yeah, same ended. here. All the kids have grown up now, and so we don't have the fireworks. Right. Yeah. That's a bummer. Yeah. <laughs> Next year, I'm going to... Well, we don't stay up till midnight. Maybe I'll just set them off at like 10. That's New Year somewhere. Right, you know. exactly. Yeah. <laughs> Why not? <laughs> well, we have a tradition. When we were in Spain a few years ago, we found out that the, at midnight, basically, the Spanish eat 12 grapes for each chime yeah. at midnight. Really? So we did that. We figured out, you know, time zone-wise, what mm-hmm. would be midnight in Spain, so we ate 12 grapes. But the grapes were, you know, too big. So Tracy said, I can't eat 12 of these giant grapes. <laughs> so she, we only ate six big grapes rather than 12. <laughs> so do they have smaller grapes in Spain? Yeah. Well, at this particular, for this particular thing, yes. Oh, okay. So smallish, roundish ones as yeah. opposed to big, you know. Or you got your mouth full of grapes, you're trying to churn, exactly. got juice thrown down your chin. Yeah. And then we tried to watch, the, you know, the dropping of the ball. Yeah. And, the, you know, the fireworks or something or, you know, the weather or made it so you couldn't even see the ball hit the ground. So. Oh, really? Yeah. yeah. Oh, well. That was depressing. No, we'll try it next year. Yep. Yep. You got another year for sure. Well, thanks. Sure. Folks, every Saturday morning we get together and we discuss your yard, your landscape, your garden, your house plants, potting mixes. What's the difference between that and potting soil? How to improve your soils, pruning, what are those bugs and diseases, planting, Can I plant something this time of year? Plant removal, making the best choices. Remember my words, open opportunities, and afterwards, it's going to take work on your part during this marathon called gardening. This is your show, and I certainly appreciate you being here. Thanks to Matt. He is producing today, so when you call in, he'll be the one that answers the phone, and he'll ask you for your name and uh, where you're calling from. That's about all I need to, to know, and then we'll talk. 
I'm Mike Miller. I've been hosting the Gardening Hotline since 1994. I've written five gardening books, and uh, they're available at various locations and online as well. And during the week, I do landscape consulting, which I call a walk and talk. So I come to your home, and uh, we talk about whatever is concerning you, and I keep my eyes open for something that maybe you haven't thought of that might be having an impact on your landscape. You can go to my website, www.mikemillerdesigns.com. On the homepage, there's my email address and phone number where I can be reached. And today's Good Gardening Stroll is brought to you by St. Louis Composting, 636-861-3344. Now it steps off. Well, I decided, hmm, I always sit there in the morning on Saturday. Let's see, where should I go for my Good Gardening Stroll? I thought, ah, I know where I'm going to head. So I headed up Gravoy. And I went north on Grand. And then I pulled in and parked, and I was on the west side of the Marvin Harleen Wool Center. And that was across Laclede from the SLU campus. And at this location is the Ellen Clark Sculpture Park. It's part of SLU. And uh, between the sidewalk and street, wow, there is a great row of boxwood. I mean, I couldn't see any kind of winter damage on these boxwood at all. I know we've, we've only had a few severe days, but there was no discoloration whatsoever. So in this, this wall, well, it's not really a wall. It's a wrought iron fence with brick pillars, and it still had the holiday lighting on it. So the rope lighting went down the entire length of the, um, of the wrought iron fence, and it was really kind of... It's, Really, from a distance, it looked great. The sculpture park, wow, it was fantastic. But right now, this time of year, a three-story high Christmas tree made from strings of lights, and it was topped by a crystal-lighted ball, or it seemed like a ball. I don't know if it was or not. And there's actually this very similar tree on the south side of the SLU campus area, which is where the medical center is. So it was really kind of impressive to kind of see it sort of bookend by the same thing. Around the boxwood, there is trap rock used as a mulch. Inside the fence, there's lawn, you know, infilling all the areas between multiple metallic sculptures. It, I mean, really kind of really unique ones. And I was really kind of, I wish I could have gotten up and taken a closer look to them, but uh, couldn't get in at this time of day. And along the fence, along Grand, there's daylight clumps, and they're asleep right now this time of year. And uh, it's just really kind of amazing. This sculpture park goes all the way to Olive, so it goes from basically Lindell to Olive. And what I, you don't maybe realize that as Olive heads west, suddenly it becomes Lindell. So that's really kind of an irony that they're split apart at one point, but then they actually join at another point. Across the street from this sculpture park is in the old Woolworths building is Big Brothers and Big Sisters. And around the corner, f- further down on Olive, there's a grove of trees mixed together with some street trees as well. And I believe this actually area was once a dog park. Because they're still the things that hold the dog waste, you know, bags and all that other stuff. There's some benches in there as well. Now, there is a sign that says open 24 hours a day, but it's not open. (laughs) There was a uh, chain and a lock on the gate. So I couldn't get in, but that's okay. And I looked up to the east, and I saw the sky was brightening. So I thought, 
This is time for me to go. So Mike Miller, KMOX Garden Hotline. If you have questions, concerns, or comments, 314-436-7900 or 1-800-925-1120. Welcome back to the St. Louis Composting Garden Hotline. Once again, here's Mike Miller on KMOX. Yes, folks, questions, concerns, or comments, 314 314- 436-7900 or 1-800-925-1120. It's a good time, especially on a day like this. You know, finally some sun. It seemed like there was a lot of gray days in a row, and then we had one sunny day, and then back to the gray again. But today looks spectacular. So take the chance and the opportunity to get out and take a look at your landscape and see how things are looking because – Things change, even though we don't anticipate it, but uh, especially on your woody plant material. And if you're planning on doing any kind of pruning yourself or having a company of professional arborists do some pruning, realize that any pruning done to spring flowering trees or shrubs, it doesn't hurt the tree or shrub necessarily, but what it does is just reduce the flower count that you would be able to experience in the spring. So that's not to say don't prune it, but if possible, just kind of wait until after they flower and then you can prune it at that time. It's going to be equally as safe as doing it when the plants are, let's say, totally, I don't want to say totally deciduous, but uh, when they are leafless. So let's go to the phone now. Let's head to Florissant. Jerry, how are you doing today? Yeah, Mike, how are you doing? Very good. Yeah, uh, I've received some poinsettias, and I was just wondering how to care for them to keep them alive. Uh, basically... Lots of light. So they need a lot of sunny light. And also, just make sure that you do not overwater them. And so wait until you can look down into the pot. And uh, when you start to see a gap between the potting mix and the inside of your pot, plastic pot's probably what it's in, uh, then go ahead and water it thoroughly. But that's pretty much all you need to do. And then realize that those bracts, which that's the colorful part, people think that's a flower, but the flower is really just kind of that little tiny yellowish thing, at the, and the bracts are just kind of an attracted color in its native, native habitat to draw insects so they can get pollinated. But the bracts are probably going to, you know, they may fall off, but, you know, they may re- just revert back to just green, and uh, so that's about all you really need to do. When can you uh, take them outside, possibly? Uh, you're probably, you definitely don't want to take them out when there's any opportunity or chance for a frost because a, you know, a frost could really do some major damage. It may not kill it, but it could make all the foliage fall off, all the leaves and everything. But you're probably looking at uh, sometime mid to late April, early May. Okay, okay. Thank you. Yep. Good and, right. you know, don't, and for anybody with houseplants this time of year, too, uh, don't transplant them. Don't put them in bigger pots. Leave them alone because the days, yes, they are getting a little bit longer because the shortest day of the year was December 21st or 22nd. I forget exactly which day it was. But it's still the dormant season for the plant material. So disrupting their root system and, let's say, their lifestyle that they've become accustomed to in that pot could be really to their disadvantage. So don't transplant, don't up-pot, don't do anything to plant material when it comes to that standpoint. Also with your house plants, even the ones in flower, 
Yes, you're going to fertilize them. The other plants that are not flowering right now, no fertilizer this time of year is probably the best thing to do is just skip the fertilizing for a month or two. But if you are going to fertilize, the label rate will say one tablespoon per gallon or quart or whatever it happens to be. Cut that in half because our, you know, the daytime length is short. And basically the fertilizer is just something that the actually through the activity in the you know, potting mix will turn those nutrients in the fertilizer to something useful. Then that will come up through the root system, the feeder roots and everything else, be sent up to the foliage of your plant. Even things like cactus, well, they don't technically have foliage, but they have the greenness. And then the, the plant will actually use sunlight plus the nutrients that have been sent up through the root system to make chlorophyll, and that's food. So that's what you're going to try to do. Bill lives in Centralia. Bill, how are you today? I'm doing okay today. Great. And I want to wish you a happy birthday. <laughs> well, thank you. I'm gonna, I got one coming at 28th, same age. All right. But I wanted to know, I have uh, three little dogs, and I have the manure piled up about every uh, day. I pile it somewhere in the backyard. I don't raise anything back there. And uh, I was wondering if I could dump the dog manure back on my pines where nothing is growing. Basically, uh, it will do. It, there's no advantage to doing that. Okay. So none whatsoever. Dog manure doesn't compost well. It doesn't okay. add anything to the because of just the let's say yeah. the the chemical content of yeah. you know dog do, and so yeah. it's uh, doesn't do a bit of good. Okay. So just. Let it go with the garbage. <laughs> That's probably the best thing to do. Okay, thank you very much. Certainly. Well, thanks, Bill. And uh, if you do have any questions or concerns, wh- like I said earlier, uh, you can call 314-436-7900 or 1-800-925-1120. With your Christmas trees, if you have a live tree, live doesn't 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 necessarily mean one that has a root system on it. But if you had a cut tree that's live, and uh, what can you do that with that? I mentioned, you know, during the St. Louis composting spot about uh, taking it to St. Louis composting, and they'll shred them and turn them into usable mulch. But also an interesting thing is like uh, some of the parks in the in the St. Louis area, St. Louis County. I'm not sure of, but I'm kind of guessing that they use live, real trees that you can drop off, and they put them in ponds. So, I mean, Carondelet Park has ponds that they throw the Christmas trees into, and then what that is is because there's fish in there, the fish use the, the where the trees are as a place to lay eggs and to raise their young as a protective-type factor. I'm assuming that's what it is. But uh, that's one thing, and even with wreaths, if you take off all the artificial stuff, all wiring and everything else, and you call a park ahead of time and see if there's some place where you can drop, you know, the trees off. The majority of the trees are probably going to be ended up, like, let's say, chipped up into mulch. I was, uh, you know, we live very near Carondelet Park, and the other day Tracy and I were driving by and— she said, have you seen any of the trees? Because we can see where the recycling area is. And it looked like, you know, there was a big pile of trees. So I think probably those were ones that didn't sell from from the tree lots. And so consequently, that's, I mean, people have already started to drop them off. But if you do drop them off at a park, 
even if you're not, you know, let's say designating for a pond or anything else, take all that artificial stuff off because you don't want to have that, let's say, uh, ending up in somebody else's yard because, I mean, all the plastic and everything else is not all that good. Philip lives in Creevecourt. Philip, how are you today? Yes, I'm fine. Um, we have a tree, uh, I think it's a Japanese uh, cherry it droops over, you know, a lot of branches drooping over. Mm-hmm. And the tree is starting to lean pretty badly. And I was just wondering, is there anything we could do? Like, I, I know with wire or anything like that, it would dig into the tree. Is there anything we can do to straighten it up? Is it young? Has it just been planted no, recently? No, it's been there about 35, 30 years. Wow. Why it would yeah. be leaning, that's a real mystery, unless it's really close to your house and it's leaning to get more light. It is It is close to our house. Um, uh, it's always gotten enough light, I think, from both sides. Well, the, the only thing that really, you know, that causes trees to really lean or you know, grow in a certain direction is for more light. And a tree of this age, there's absolutely nothing you can do to straighten that tree up. Okay. And, it almost seems like it could get against it and just push it back, but I know you can't do that. <laughs> yeah, and if, it's beautiful. <laughs> I mean, it, there's nothing wrong with its beauty. In fact, the little leaning, I think it makes it even better. But but I, it, it looks like every year it gets just a little bit more. Right. It's trying to get as much light as it possibly can. Okay. But again, the sunlight is what the tree uses to make food, nutrients, chlorophyll right. for health. So. It's going to lean more and more and more as it needs more and more light. So probably the backside and especially, uh, you know, the branches are probably less and uh, probably less you know, less foliage, less everything because there's less light on the backside of it. Okay. Yeah, you're right. The, the, there are fewer branches on the, on the side right. from which it's leaning away from. Well, thank you very much, yeah. and I think we'll just hang on to it till it lays down completely. <laughs> <laughs> thank you. As it gets closer to the ground, make sure you put a pillow underneath it. Thanks, Philip. And now let's go to Tom in South City. Hi, Tom. Hi. I'm, I'm calling from Lindenwood Park area, and I have a question about some river birch that I planted last fall. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's a clump river birch, and uh, the ones I bought have five trunks on them. Right. Uh, is, is there any problem to cut those back so I can just get three trunks? Uh, if you're, if you're going to do that, I probably wouldn't do that yet. I'd right. wait for I'm a thinking l- for spring. Yeah, I wouldn't, I wouldn't even do it in the spring. I'd let, because, again, to get your root system established on anything, you need as much foliage as you possibly can. So I would let everything leaf out and try to, you know, make some food, the, again, the chlorophyll, and that's going to be shared with uh, everything above ground and the root system below the ground. So I'm saying that from the standpoint of let your root system get established as well as you possibly can. Maybe do the, let's say, elimination of one or two of the trunks after about two years or so. You know, up to that point, I would leave as many branches, as many of everything as you possibly can so you can have the maximum amount of number of leaves to make as much food as you can to help the tree get established. Okay, and when I do cut them back, will I cut it flush with the ground, underneath the ground? No, basically, I'm assuming, are they separate trunks all the way with, you know, with space? they are separate 
all the way to the base. Yeah, and, I would. And I want to get them down to three trunks. Yeah, I, I would probably, I don't know how long they are, but cut them off in sections. And with a final cut, dig down a little bit and see if you can find out where actually the trunks are, if there's a single place where they're coming out of or exactly what is happening. But you could, I would probably just cut it probably right at ground level. I wouldn't okay. cut it below the ground. But uh, I could just make that first cut at the ground. I don't have to take it down slowly. Well, it's up to you. If they're really long, I would say you're better off to cut it off in like one-third sections at a time. That yeah, way you, can, you minimize any kind of tears or anything like that that could possibly happen that could be damaging. Okay. All right. Great. Thanks. Certainly. Mike Miller, KMOX Garden Hotline, back after these messages. This is the St. Louis Composting Garden Hotline with your host, Mike Miller, on KMOX. Yes, folks, 314-436-7900 or 1-800-925-1120 for questions, comments, or concerns. Also, uh, you could check my website out. I've done the update for January and uh, MikeMiller.com, MikeMillerDesigns.com. I don't even know the name of my own website. Gosh, this is sad. But anyway, so the January updates there, I kind of take a different approach on how I title each informational section. So you'll look at it and you'll say, hmm, what's he talking about here? And uh, so then you have to read it to figure out what I'm talking about. So makes it a little bit more interesting for me as a writer as maybe as you as a reader as well. George lives in Sunset Hills. George, how are you today? Hey, how you doing, Mike? Very I ran good. all the way home here just to get my phone so I could give you a call this morning. Uh, I, I got several very quick questions. Your okay. website, you just go to Mike Miller? Yeah, Mike Miller Designs. Mike Miller Design, okay. Yeah. You always advertise Hanson's Mitts. I can't find it. Who has it? Uh, I haven't advertised Hanson's for multiple years, so I'm not exactly sure. Okay. So okay. St. Louis Composting is they t- Hanson's decided to drop the Garden Hotline, and then St. Louis Composting uh, came in. Okay, because I use St. Louis Composting. I've been over there asking for Hanson's Mix. And, you know, they say they don't carry it. Right. That's a separate company. Oh, okay. I didn't know that. Yeah. Okay. Uh, Is it time to prune my plants? Uh, As I was saying earlier, yes, you can prune, you know, deciduous things. I don't like to prune anything that's evergreen this time of year because we do not know how bad the weather is going to be. And uh, whether it's broadleaf evergreen or conifer, so something with needles, you can cut something off, and then if we get, you know, in another couple of weeks, get a severe cold snap, it could do some really damaging, okay. let's say, burn, winter burn to the evergreens. Deciduous okay. things, yes, but if you do prune the summer or the spring blooming uh, deciduous things, you're just reducing the amount of flowers you're going to see in another couple of months. Okay. And then the other thing, I uh, there's, there's a new, uh, it's called Grand Cascade Butterfly Bush. And uh, I, I got it in a seed catalog from Jung's. Am I better off, you know, I, and I know it is probably a tough question for you, really. Uh, am I better off going to, like, Kirkwood Supply to buy these, or can I order it? If from a success standpoint, should I order it from the catalog? Uh, basically, depends upon the size and everything else. Personally, I, I you know, 
I'm not a real fan of ordering plant material off the internet, but that's just my own hang-up. I, I have a lot of hang-ups about a lot of other things, too, as well as if you're a long-time listener, you know that. And uh, so consequently, I like to look at the plant material. I like to, you know, talk to the, you know, to know the people that I'm buying it from as opposed to just something being shipped in. And, you know, if it's shipped in, it may be bare root. It may be something... It may be a variety of plant material that's not even, even though it says butterfly bush, maybe this particular variety doesn't do all that well here. But if you're buying it at the nursery, you could certainly ask them because sometimes they do sell plant material that is not all that hardy for this region as well. So this way you're up close and personal with somebody as opposed to just, let's say, a robot at the end of, you know, let's say where you're trying to order it from. And then I was going to turn part of my backyard uh, into a butterfly garden, and I was going to use milkweed. Uh, but I understand. I was reading a Missouri conservation piece, and it said it takes two years to do that. Yeah, at least two years, and a lot of plant material. So, I, you know, it's great just to have, let's say, the milkweed there. But I'd have a combination of things, you know, in conjunction rather than just one big patch of trying to do milkweed. It's going to take. Yeah, it's going to be painful, let's put it that way, as far as your patience and, let's say, all the factors of uh, getting the butterflies to start coming in. Okay, and then the last question. Uh, I found this uh, honeydew melon. Uh, it's called Kiss, not honeydew, cantaloupes, Kiss. Right. That I take the seeds out and save them because I was going to plant them. It, when would I plant those seeds? If you really wanted to do this right, you could start them fairly early. So, in other words, in about a month or so. But that would involve getting a potting mix for seed starting. That would get involve getting grow lights so you can have grow lights, you know. Oh, my. Yeah. So, I mean, if you really want to do it right, if you just put them in a you know, in potting mix and sit them in a window, they'll sprout. There's no getting around it. But the chances of that plant making it all the way into your garden and actually producing something is pretty minimal. It's really pretty difficult to, you know, sprout seeds and then have, uh, let's say, success with them, you know, in your garden. So, so I couldn't just plant, wait till April and plant them in the ground? Uh, I probably, you could, and you could call back in April after you do this and let me know. But uh, success with, the, you know, these seeds with this, I'm not sure this variety of cantaloupe is even successful here. I know which one. That's my favorite one myself because I like, I like its size and I like its flavor as opposed to the regular cantaloupes. Regular cantaloupes kind of are really bland tasting, but this one has a little bit more kick to it. But uh, you might have success with it, but uh, who knows? Okay, very good. I really appreciate it, Mike. Uh, I hear it's your birthday. <laughs> no, it's not quite my birthday. I was just saying soon I will be 70. Oh, my. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my. I turned 70 this year, too. Really? All right. I, I feel like I'm 35, but my body tells me that I'm 70. <laughs> <laughs> Especially when you go across area rugs. <laughs> right. Hey, thanks for your service. I, I, I so enjoy KOMOX uh, started. This is such a great service. I really appreciate it. Well, great. Well, thanks. And uh, good luck with everything. And give those cantaloupes a try. I mean, you may, you can call back and say, see, you don't know what you're talking about. <laughs> Trust me, that ain't going to happen. <laughs>
Because I don't know what I'm talking about. (laughs) (laughs) Well, Greg. Thanks, Mike. Yep. Happy New Year, George. Happy New Year. And now let's go to Florissant into Susan's yard. Hi, Susan. Hi. um, I just put in a Japanese maple blood good um, this past fall. Mm -hmm. And I have um, a stray cat that keeps on doing his business around my tree. Is that going to hurt it? Uh, from a pH standpoint, uh, I'm sure you're talking about feral cat backing up and marking it, you know, marking it and all that other stuff. It's, you know, or whatever else it happens to be. It's not really all that good, so there's not too much you can do. You, what you might do, though, is just get some, like, plastic fencing and enclose it to keep the cat from getting too close to the actual, you know, let's say your Japanese maple. It's probably not going to cause that much damage, but it's just, you know, it's a little bit frustrating. We've got feral cats in our neighborhood, and I'm constantly battling them. Yeah, he's, uh, he's really made this his spot, that's right. for sure. And once they get sort of latched onto something, I mean, I use things like uh, they don't like the smell of citrus, cats in general, it's mm-hmm. because, I, I mean, they used to even sell scented leaf geraniums that smelled like citrus that were, in theory, cat repellents. But when I eat oranges, I just take the oranges, the peels, and throw them out in the yard. And, you know, oh. that's a little bit of a deterrent. Okay. I can just put that right on top of the uh, mulch then. Yeah. Yeah, because that's where, you know, he's digging up the mulch and exactly. doing his business, and he covers the bag up. Right. <laughs> right. So put them so. beyond the, you know, put them out beyond the perimeter, too. So okay. uh, that means you're going to have to eat a lot of oranges. Okay. Well, that can't hurt. No. <laughs> okay, thanks. <laughs> Certainly. All right. And now let's Gary in Collinsville. How are you today? Uh, yes. Uh, good morning. Uh, thank you for the show, our show. Anyway, I've got a weeping cherry tree, and it's only supposed to get like uh, 25, 30 feet up. And, that, and I have seen the same kind of tree left unattended that it uh, got taller. And this one was planted close to some wires, and that's the reason why I planted it, because it wasn't going to get that big. I've got a few shoots in the top that are growing straight up instead of weeping. When can I cut them back, or is it, or will they weep eventually? Or you know, basically, the things that are growing straight are coming off a, a weeping tree, weeping cherry in particular. They have a separate root system, a separate trunk. Now, the trunk will never really get any taller than what it is there. So if you got a you know weeping cherry and it's the trunk was seven feet high, it's not going to get taller from a trunk standpoint, but the branching going up is going to get taller as a result of that. But it, I don't think they're go- it's going to get ever as tall enough to actually cause problems with your power lines. But any of the shoots that are coming straight up, they're actually growing below the graft. So in other words, the trunk and then the graft is where the weeping branching quality comes from. And right. so these straight up things are coming off the trunk, which is below the graft. So you can go out and cut those off at any time. Oh, okay. Well, thank you then. And uh, basically with your final cut, leave a stub of about a quarter inch or so. That will enable the trunk to heal that spot. One last question. Uh, your birthday's not to June 30th, right? Correct. Oh, okay. I, I know everybody was kind of saying happy birthday. I thought, man, I, I don't <laughs> think it's yet. <laughs> yeah, it kind of caught me by surprise. I was just, you know, kind of rambling around and, you know, I guess I gave right. everybody the wrong impression. 
Well, I'm sure I'll be on the air before then. I'll wish you a happy birthday. But uh, <laughs> anyway, happy birthday. <laughs> How did you know my birthday is June 30th? Uh, just from, I listen to the show all the time. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, well, thanks, anyway, You have a good day. You do the very same thing. Mike Miller, KMOX Garden Hotline. It is not my birthday. <laughs> Back after these messages. Welcome back to the St. Louis Composting Garden Hotline. Once again, here's Mike Miller on KMOX. Yes, 314-436-7900 or 1-800-925-1120. If you have questions, concerns, or comments, take a look at your yard as you're walking around on this very nice day today. Look down and check out and see what kind of weeds that you might have in your lawn on your bed spaces and things like that. Herbicides this time of year are totally ineffective because the plants are basically shut down. So you're going to see them, you're going to notice them, and realize that a lot of these can be perennial weeds. There's no getting around it. But a lot of them can be cool season annual weeds. And these annual weeds actually germinated last August, and they're going to grow all winter long. They don't care how cold it gets or anything else. And then they're going to start flowering as the days get a little bit longer, and they're going to start dropping seeds. So this is a cycle that you want to, you know, kind of break. So if you do feel like doing some hand weeding, you could certainly do that, but just make sure you get the entire root system and everything. But as far as trying to control them with any kind of any type of herbicide, don't bother because you're just wasting your money and your time and everything else. Let's head out to Baldwin and go into John's yard. Hi, John. Happy Happy New Year, Mike. Same to you. Um, I agree about those fireworks at the uh, New Year's Eve ball in New York City. They <laughs> seem to go off about eight seconds early. Yeah, but... it was made it so smoky, I couldn't even see the ball. I know, and they <laughs> advertise, you know, LED lights from, <laughs> from uh, Waterford, or, you know, Crystal, and then right. you couldn't see it. <laughs> <laughs> right. Uh, on to business, so... Uh, is it okay now to, you know, given the weather or whatnot, it's going to be nice. Is it okay to go mow the lawn and pick up some more leaves, or am I going to ruin the lawn? Uh, it doesn't, no. You're not going to move, you know, you're not going to cause any kind of problem at all. And uh, don't cut it too short. Don't cut it too close. No. You know, maybe set your mower at about three inches or so, whether you have zoysia or cool season lawn like bluegrass or fescues. But, no, I do that actually periodically through the entire wintertime. I have zoysia, but uh, I just set the mower blade high. I have a mulching mower, and it just chops up the leaves. Sometimes if I get too many leaves, it looks like, then I do bag some of them. But uh, for the most part, no, you're not going to cause a bit of problem whatsoever. And I could get rid of the gas in the lawnmower. Exactly. Yeah, thank you. <laughs> Enjoy your day. Yes, you do the very same thing. Another thing with tools this time of year, there are certain tools that you're going to probably continue to use, but there's going to be certain tools that maybe you're not going to use. And uh, maybe some of them need to be sharpened. Even something like a digging spade, you think, well, why should I sharpen that? You'd be surprised if you just take a file and right at the very tip, about the, let's say, quarter inch from the very end of the, the spade, let's say, digging part, uh, just file it and make it sharper. And you'll be, I mean, it'll go into the ground much easier and work a lot better for you. And for your mower, if you're not going to do any more mowing, you sharpen your mower blade because let's say rough mower blades and you're going to, they're going to get rough whether you're hitting rocks or anything else just through natural use can cause what your lawn as it's mowing it to be the top edge that has been cut 
can be rough, and that sets up a scenario for you know potential disease problems. So just realize that. Also, this time of year, there are two different kinds of funguses that happen this time of year. One really needs snow, but the other one doesn't. And in essence, what they do, they're not killer funguses, but what they do, they can weaken your lawn. And then we know what the summer fungus can really do. So if your lawn is weak as a result of that, uh, because you've had the fungus problems, uh, ugh, that's not so good because we don't know what the weather's going to be like, how soon we're going to have, let's say, uh, weather warm enough to start the fungus problems that can be very dangerous, let's say, from a dead death standpoint. Also, areas that uh, you know are dead right now, to go out there and rake them, that's fine if you want to do it. But to throw grass seed out this time of year is probably going to be a waste of time and a waste of money, too. And there was this old theory that says, uh, you know, throw grass seed out on the snow and then it'll just sit there and it'll germinate later on. Lawn or pretty much any kind of seed really needs a soil temperature above 50 degrees to germinate. So if you throw seed out this time of year, whether there's snow on the ground or not, the chances of it actually germinating and you know penetrating into the ground and being able to survive is kind of going to be a very iffy thing at best. So just realize that that is the you know the circumstance that what you're looking at. So you can if you want to, but don't expect a whole lot of uh, let's say good from spreading grass seed this time of year. What you can do is just take a look at uh, maybe some of your bed spaces where you, you, let's say you plant annuals or something along that line. You can certainly turn those areas over. That will help, you know, with any kind of aeration to the ground. And getting a soil test done this time of year makes complete sense. What a soil test does is tell you what there is in the ground, what could be causing problems, what could be causing the good aspects, but it gives you let's say, a really good look at what your soil is all about. It's like when you go to the doctor for a checkup and you're not there for necessarily anything other than just finding out if there potentially is something that may be problematic, that's what a soil test does for you. It may indicate that you're putting too much of one type of fertilizer on, maybe not enough of another one. And I've had people call in and, and surprisingly tell me that they had a soil test done and found out their soil was extremely acidic, which is you know totally surprising to me. But the majority of the time, the soil is going to be uh, around neutral or soil, and neutral is not all that bad. But certain plant materials need an acidic soil. Basically, all the evergreens need an acidic soil. So, so do dogwoods and things along that line, too. But uh, certain things need an alkaline soil, like lilacs. So, I mean, finding out all those different types of things can make your s sort of success level even that much more, I don't want to say better, but better, and also make it more enjoyable so you're not kind of like keep guessing on what's, you know, what's, what you need to do or what you don't need to do. Core aeration this time of year, you don't really need to have your lawn core aerated, but there is something called deep root feeding where you take an earth auger, an electric drill out, and you drill holes around trees all the way around in circles, you know, two feet apart for the holes, starting about halfway out from the trunk to the drip line of the tree, and then you go all the way around the holes two feet apart. Backfill those holes with compost. What you're doing is you're feeding the soil. Again, the soil is so crucial as far as feeding 
the tr- you know the plant material, not just trees, but everything. And so that's what the advantage of compost is because compost enriches your soil. And so with healthier soil, then there's going to be, because, I mean, your soil's alive. Somebody sent me an email the other day and said he's had really some major problems with his soil in his garden. And he said somebody, and he, I thought he said me in this email, I, that I at one time had said you can microwave soil or potty mix and stuff to get rid of problems. No, don't do that. I mean, that's crazy. First of all, you can't do that in a big yard circumstance. But anytime that you would microwave anything, that's going to kill all the, let's say, microbial type things that are really crucial for uh, soil to be healthy and wealthy and to help your plant material. So you just got to be really, really cautious. And putting plastic down or something to try to suffocate some disease problems, that's just going to make things worse. So just realize that the soil is very, very important. It's just not something to hold the roots and keep your plant material straight up or whatever it happens to be. It's what is responsible for uptaking all the nutrients that your plant will you know, need to be healthy. So just keep that in mind and whatever you decide to do. So if you do have any questions, we got another hour of the Garden Hotline. So I will be back after the news. KMOX is at your service. Welcome to the St. Louis Composting Garden Hotline. Now, here's your host, Mike Miller on KMOX. Hey, you can't leave. (laughs) Outfit you have on today. USA Today. Is that a hockey outfit? Yeah. All right. Oh, sorry. Okay. Yeah, the U.S. World Juniors team, which I know you've been following. Oh, yes. They play for the gold medal against Finland this evening, so I got out my USA jersey to wear today to show support. So what channel is that going to be on? Uh, the NHL Network. Oh, really? 2.15 on DirecTV. All right. So great. I'll have the Blues on one TV and the World Juniors on the other. Wow. So i got to work. i got to separate my eyes. And you got to take off that PGA hat, though. No, i got to wear that. Oh. No, look at that. That's why I'm wearing that. I'll put it back on. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> I thought you should have a blues hat on. <laughs> no, I don't wear that to work. Both of my blues hats are really dirty. Oh. Yeah, so I don't wear those to work. Yeah, I've smelled them before. Yeah, sure. <laughs> Across the <laughs> Thanks, Brian. And folks, if you do have any questions, welcome to the second hour of the Garden Hotline. I'll be giving the tip of the trial shortly, but right now you can call 314-436-7900 or 1-800-925-1120. And thanks for having me on your show. We can talk about plant selection, the ups and downs related to annuals. Again, I continue to see and in the promenade area, pansies, the cool season flowers are still really looking good. Now, we haven't had, you know, we've had some cold weather but not bad enough to sort of knock the pansies down. Some are in pots close to buildings, but some are not. They're out in bed spaces. So, wow, you never know. How about bulbs? Did you get all your spring flowering bulbs, your daffodils, your tulips, your crocus, your hyacinths? Are they planted? And did you get some new bulbs as holiday gifts like amaryllis? How do you take care of those? What do you need to do? When are they going to flower? Are they in flower now? Then what can you expect? Edibles? How about... uh, Got some lettuce out there growing. How much longer is this going to do well? Because it is a cool season edible. Your ground covers. You got a whole bunch of trees close by, and your evergreen ground covers are now covered with leaves. 
Is that going to be a problem for your ground covers overall? Your house plants? How about your lawn, your perennials, your roses, your trees, your shrubs, your vines, or your water gardens? I'll share my thoughts, but please remember my answers, comments, or opinions is certainly not the only garden path to take, but strictly offered for you to consider. Alex is producing, and uh, during the week I do landscape consulting, which I call a walk and talk. So if you'd like for me to come to your home and do a walk and talk, you go to my website, MikeMillerDesigns.com. On the homepage, you can find my email address and phone number, and you can contact me. We can set up and schedule a time for me to come to your home. And the tip of the trial is a special recognition for individual group or a situation that's made an impression on me. It's brought to you by St. Louis Composting, 636-861-3344. Today's tip of the trial goes out to the Missouri Botanical Garden. If you'd really like to do something, and I know we're all of us, whether it's, let's say, organizations wanting a donation, you know, not-for-profit type things, or people wanting you to volunteer – Volunteering for the various things at the Missouri Botanical Garden could be really to your advantage. They've got all kinds of different places where you could volunteer beyond the garden's main campus area. There's the Litzinger Road Ecology Center in Ladue, the Shaw Nature Reserve in Gray Summit. So those are things that you could really volunteer and have a huge impact and have some fun being surrounded by the plants and by staff members that are very, very knowledgeable that could help you. So volunteering at the Missouri Botanical Garden at various locations and situations. Also something, when I worked at the garden, they called these people docents. I don't know if they still call them that or not. But what this is is when, uh, let's say, a class comes to the Botanical Garden for a field trip, you help them you know, work their way through the garden Maybe they have specific things they want to see. Maybe they want to avoid other things because the interest is not there. So volunteering to do something like that could be really a lot of fun. So just go to the Missouri Botanical Garden website and then check it out. I can give you very specific things, but that's the easiest way to do it. So just go to mobot, M-O-B-O-T, Missouri Botanical, .org, and then just say volunteer, and then you can find out how to do it. Also, I want to give a tip of the trials to Cynthia Lamar. Cynthia Lamar works at the St. Louis City Library, the main branch, which is virtually right across the street from where we are here at KMOX. Cynthia has, at the library, she works in the genealogy and obituary department. My wife, Tracy, has been working on, let's say, taking care of putting together her family tree and she hit, she hit a lot of, or several dead ends. She tried various sources, but Cynthia Lamar at the library offered and gave her some great insight on things that Tracy could not figure out at all through ancestry, through the post-dispatch, through whatever, all the other things she did. So this was just, it was really an eye-opener that somebody could take the time and effort to help, you know, Tracy sort of put together, let's say, some of these fallen branches from her family tree and make it all work very well. So the Missouri Botanical Garden, that's who you want to, let's say, volunteer to. And then a tip of the trial goes out to Cynthia Lamar from the St. Louis City Library main branch. So Mike Miller, KMOX Garden Hotline, back after these messages. 
This is the St. Louis Composting Garden Hotline with your host, Mike Miller, on KMOX. Yes, folks, questions, concerns, or comments, 314-436-7900 or 1-800-925-1120. Gentlemen, you call and ask about mowing his lawn this time of year. Certainly you can mow it just to get rid of the leaf debris and everything else, but also the cool season lawns of fescues and bluegrasses will continue to grow. Now, the zoises are pretty much dormant. They're not going to be growing, but you don't want your fescue or bluegrass grass blades to get too long because what can happen is they could get long enough where if we have a hard rain, it's going to sort of mat them down. And that, again, sets up that scenario where you could have a winter fungus problem. So though the fungus, you know, one of them, you know, prefers to have some snow because of, you know, get the moisture content up. But there's another one that doesn't necessarily have to have the snow and really, both of them don't, you know, really, really, really need the snow. It's a moisture content more so than anything else. So just watch out about your grass blades letting the lawn get too tall. Marilyn lives in University City. Marilyn, how are you today? I'm doing great, Mike. I was also born in 1949. That's Whoa. a great year. <laughs> <laughs> what I was wondering is um, I'm thinking of planting a large holly. And uh, there's a landscaper. I've read some of his work, uh, William Frederick. He uses a lot of San Jose hollies. I was wondering how they would do here in St. Louis. To be honest, uh, I'm a little bit unsure about the saying, you know, how, you know, how well it's actually going to do. So I would be, my tendency would be if you want to take a chance, that's fine. But, uh, just make sure the soil is well-prepared, you know, and get a soil test done in the area that you're planning to have it installed to find out what's going on there first to see if you need to change the soil pH and everything else. But uh, that's, you know, I would, uh, if you want to try it, that's fine. But uh, I don't have any personal experience with it, and I usually make my answers based upon, yes, knowledge that I've obtained, but also personal experience. Is there a large holly that has... You've had good luck with? Yes, the American holly. Okay. And so it's, uh, you know, darker green, and uh, I see that routinely throughout the entire region. That's not to say, and there is something called the foster holly. Foster holly I don't necessarily care for as much. It's not, it never is as full. It doesn't have, a uh, let's say, a leaf that, you know, is in the shape that I like. But again, that's, you know, kind of a personal thing. But the American holly would be, if I want a tree-type holly, would be the one I would choose. All right. Thank you. Sure. And again, get the soil tested before you do any insulation of something like this because the hollies need an acidic soil. And if they don't have it, you're going to start to see the foliage kind of get a yellowish cast to it. And the plant is not going to be healthy even from the very beginning. Okay, I'll get that done. All right, great. Thanks. Yeah, and now let's go to Sunset Hills. Larry, how are you today? I'm good, Mike. Thanks. Thanks for your service. Sure. Uh, I have a willow tree, and last winter, I, uh, the fall before, I just planted it. So this is the second winter. Uh, last winter... A big tree two yards over fell, and then when they cleaned up the the brush and everything, they clipped very top main trunk on that willow tree. Uh, it grew like gangbusters this 
you know, this past summer and everything. What can I expect for the future of that tree? As far as longevity? Well, and how's it going to grow? Yes, and how's it going to grow with that, you know, like I said, the, you know, it's like uh, eight or ten inches of the main tip of the tree cut off. It's probably going to take a little time to recover, but you can expect once the root system is established, which will take maybe another full year of getting a couple you know, feet of growth every year on the willow and realize that it's going to be surface rooted. There's no getting around it. It doesn't matter what type of soil you have or anything else. And uh, that's a stabilizing factor because these willows are, you know, from an area naturally that's really wet. So they need a big, wide, uh, let's say, root system. And a lot of trees will have that, too, even if they're not, let's say, from wet areas. But uh, beyond that, you should be okay if, as long as you've still got uh, when everything leaves out in the springtime that you have an adequate amount of foliage on your tree, then you should be, everything should be good. Okay. Well, great. Yeah, I mean, this, you know, this past summer and everything, it, you know, it took off like the gangbusters. It's right. a very young tree. So, okay, great. Thanks, Mike. Certainly. And let's go to Forstell and see what's going on with Ron. Ron, how are you today? Hey, Mike. This is Ron. Hi. Um, I've got a question for you. I have recently, in March of last year, bought a farm out by Paris, Missouri. And there was an area that they had dumped a lot of farm waste of bones and just farm waste that was an acre to two acres big and um about three weeks ago, I, I rented a bobcat, and I cleared uh, all that down and scraped it all um, flat so it can the rain can get it to flatter, and it, and it goes back the way it was naturally. Is there a good idea of how I should plant the, um, some seed out there, some uh, grass seed or whatever on this here? It's actually black dirt, and it's very rich soil. Um, I the bone pile and everything had weed that was probably 10 foot tall and it was just uh my wife hated it so she made me deal with this but uh i just didn't know what the best way would be to prepare that ground for um, putting grass and making it kind of go back to nature uh so you wanted to sort of n- to naturalize as far as lawn or are you yeah. trying to make a lawn <clears throat> No, it don't have to be a lawn. I would just like to have, like, the meadow back to where it was because they had just completely trashed this farm. And after about six dumpster loads full of junk, wow. moving all these bones and everything out of there, I just want to kind of make it go back to a meadow like it used to be. Well, I'm going to tell you what I've been talking about. I continue to talk about. I would get a soil test done and find out what's going on in that ground there before I sort of did anything at all. Then okay. after that, after you find out what the nutrient level is and what everything else is going on in your ground, then I would start to take, I'd probably contact this Missouri Conservation Department and see what type of grass they would recommend for you to reestablish a meadow in that space. Okay. A tall right. type fescue would be probably work out fine, but you may want to have a mixture, and the conservation department is going to tell you exactly what you need to do as far as you know what kind of seed and how you need to, let's say, get the ground ready. But once you get the soil test done, that's going to be the sort of the opening of the door. Then after that, it's going to be just sort of a, a logical step to go get a meadow circumstance established. 
I'll just throw some uh, meadow seeds out there, and they'll tell me what kind to get it, and it should go back to uh, how it was originally. It's just uh, after probably a million bones removed Ooh. out of there, it just this was a working farm, at, you know, for I guess for many, many years. Right. And uh, they had just dumped all the farm waste in, in a couple-acre area. So actually, it's, looked, it's real flat. It looks nice now, but I just wanted it to go back towards the meadow. So right. I was just... So that's what I'll do is I'll, I'll uh, contact the Department of Conservation and get their uh, input on that. Right. And then also get the soil test done. You know, maybe right. from a couple different locations, you know, get a soil sample. The University of Missouri Agriculture Department does, you know, test the soils. So you can really, again, start off at ground level and get, you know, start off on the right, you know, right foot as far as right. reestablishing this. Right, the, the dirt and everything that was under this was really rich because it had, like, uh, you know, it was mostly compost and stuff from right. all the decay and everything. So I'll get that testing, and then they can just tell me what uh, the best thing to plant out there and just spread it around out there. Right. And another thing, too, realize that if this was an area that wasn't taken care of for a long time and you have, you know, long-established weeds, you're going to have so many weed seeds on the ground right now that it's going to be explosive. So just realize that you might want to wait to, let's say, establish the meadow circumstance until you get some of the major weeds under control first. Right. That's why I took about six inches of top off of the whole thing just to try to get rid of some of them. So Right. That's what I've done. So I just wanted to get your input on that. Well, thank you, Mike. Well, great. Well, thanks for calling and thanks for having me on your show. Let's go from Forestell to back to Sunset Hills and into George's yard. Hi, George. Hey, Mike. I meant to, um, I got so involved wishing you happy birthday, I forgot two things on my list. Uh, first thing I got, I tell you, that St. Louis composting, uh, anybody who's an entrepreneur, it's worth their time to go out there. It's un- It's an unbelievable place. Right. I'm, I'm so shocked by it all. Uh, amazed, really, not shocked. But my two questions, and, and um, I went and bought a, a pruning guide, as you suggested, last year. Uh, so is it, when should I, I'm talking about flowering plants. Should I prune those like in April? Well, or? if they're spring flowering, the, you could f- go ahead and let everything flower that, you know, is spring flowering, and then just prune after they finish flowering. Oh, no kidding. Yeah, and then you're fine doing that. So, in other words, if you have a quince, if you have forsythia, if you have spireas or anything, or, you know, your dogwoods or whatever it happens to be, that is spring blooming, wait until after they flower and then prune it at that time. Because I got these rows of Sharon's that have just become uh, enormous. Right. Uh, So I should let them bloom out, then prune them back. Well, the rows of Sharon blooms in the summertime. So that's not a spring bloomer. So you can prune that now. You can prune it all the way up until the new foliage starts to grow on any summer bloomers. So something like a Rosa Sharon, butterfly bush, crepe myrtle, they can be pruned because what the difference is, is a spring flowering shrubs or trees, their flower buds are set right now. So if you prune, you cut off those flower buds. The summer blooming stuff, they don't start setting their flower buds until the actual new growth begins. In the springtime, the flower buds are being set at that time. So you can prune them all the way up until the new growth, the leaves start coming out 
in the spring. Okay. And roses are considered summer bloomers? Uh, right. Your roses, you can prune for the most part. You know, I mean, you should have probably already pruned them, but your knockout roses and everything else, they can be pruned, you know, until the new growth. Again, the leaves start emerging. Okay. And last question, uh, is it when should I fertilize all those bloomers? The ideal time is to, you know, you can just routinely fertilize, but I'm going to say this again. Get a soil test to find out maybe what type of fertilizer you should be using because if you historically have been using one type of fertilizer, maybe you have an over an adequate amount, a dangerous amount of one type of nutrient versus another, which is lacking. But if you decide not to do that, then as soon as the new growth begins in the springtime, so in other words, new leaves start emerging, new needles start emerging, then you can start pruning it, or pruning. You can start fertilizing at that time. Okay, great. Hey, thanks very much. Certainly. And then what you want to do is with with your trees and shrubs, you basically fertilize them three times in the springtime, and then maybe once in the fall, and that's about all you really need to do. Mike Miller, KMOX Garden Hotline, back after these messages. Welcome back to the St. Louis Composting Garden Hotline. Once again, here's Mike Miller on KMOX. Yes, folks, 314-436-7900 or 1-800-925-1120 if you have any questions or concerns or comments. I'm going to go back to the soil testing. You say, why does he keep talking about soil testing? Well, ideally, most plant material is going to do well with a soil pH between 6.0 and 6.5. So that, that's what this, one of the things the soil test is going to give you. It's not only going to give you the nutrient level of various nutrients in the ground, so in other words, phosphorus, potassium, calcium, all those other things, but it's going to tell you what your soil pH is. And for years, people kept saying, I, my lawn is in bad shape because I didn't, haven't put lime on. But if your soil pH is, you know, your lawn needs a slightly acidic, so below 7% pH. Putting lime down raises the pH, and that's not exactly what you want to have happen for lawn or for a lot of the plants. Now, certain plants even want to, let's say, a soil pH lower than that, the ones that are acid-loving, like your hollies, your azaleas, your rhododendrons, your magnolias, and plants like that. So just realize that that is really a very important factor. And when you add that to our goofball crazy weather, then that makes it even, let's say, more important to get everything as close as you possibly can to being right. Also, wood ashes. For years, people have just go out and they spread wood ashes, which is fine. It doesn't necessarily help the soil structure at all. Chemically, it can add phosphorus, calcium, and potassium potash. But before spreading it, again, find out you know, what your pH is because maybe you don't need any calcium. Maybe you don't need phosphorus or potassium, either one. Because the phosphorus and potassium, those are two that we found when people have routinely put the same fertilizer on their, let's say, plant material, on their bed spaces or whatever, the phosphorus and potassium stays for several years. And we're finding that that high levels of those particular nutrients actually dry out the root system of the plant material, whether it's lawn, whether it's perennials, whether it's ground covers, it doesn't really matter. So to just do the same thing over and over and over again doesn't make sense. You're just, you could be, you know, creating a circumstance or a problem that's beyond that. 
How about, uh, let's say you got some perennials like Helleborus or Burginias. This time of year, they don't look so good, but they're evergreens, so they're going to stay above the ground. What do you need to do and what do you need to worry about with the, you know, your perennial plants that are showing above-ground growth? Well, just you know, don't over-mulch them. That can be as problematic as anything else. I live across the street, Tracy and I, from Christie Park, and we get a lot of leaves that blow into our yard. And I was out there, let's see, I probably like, when was it, last Wednesday or so, and I was shocked to see how many leaves had actually piled up underneath the mugo pine we have and also underneath some boxwood. So I you know, raked out as, many, as much of that as I possibly could. And you think, well, doesn't that act as a mulch? Well, it does to a certain point. But I was just shocked at how wet these leaves were that were underneath this, you know, underneath these, uh, the mugo pine and the boxwood. Other things that you should be taking a look at, too, is like, let's say you have some uh, vines, some ground covers or something like, or vines growing up on your fence. And let's, you know, let's say sweet autumn clematis. They really look frightening this type, you know, this time of year. And uh, you can prune those back. It won't hurt them because they start blooming late in the season. So if they're getting a little bit too aggressive or, you know, too big for your particular landscape circumstance, you can certainly prune those. But certain ones, certain vines bloom in the springtime. Some of the clematis bloom early on. So if you prune those this time of year, then you're going to eliminate the actual opportunity or the chance for your clematis to provide you with flowers, you know, upcoming, you know, the upcoming growing season. The other things in your yard that you can take a look at, the maples, beeches, and birch trees really prefer to be pruned during the summertime. You say, well, how can that be? Well, it's just they have a huge, those particular three varieties of trees have a huge amount of sap flow in the wintertime. And so consequently, if you prune, then you're going to have more sap flowing out of them. And you look at also, you're taking a look at other situations in your yard and you look in your trees and you say, what is this? What are these holes? Now realize that the bird, the sap sucker comes, they land on your tree and they drill holes in. They're going to be about a quarter inch in diameter, and there's going to be about four or five of them in a row. And those are going to be you know, constantly oozing sap out. But the, the birds are smart enough to know they're not going to put so many holes that it's going to make it so your tree dies because they need this tree for food. So the sap sucker is actually coming and doing this in your landscape to actually to your trees. They don't care whose trees they are, and they're actually drinking the sap as they, they're hammering these holes in there. So there's all kinds of other things that you need to be thinking about in general. Soil preparation this time of year is always going to be to the advantage. So in other words, you have a bed space you haven't been really happy with. Adding a couple inches of compost is going to be perfect. It's really going to help, but mix it in with the existing soil. Even if you have fairly good soil, still... You're planning on doing something a little bit different. You want to raise bed circumstance. Well, St. Louis Composting actually has a blend of soil that actually is specifically formulated for raised beds. So those are the kind of things that a little bit of research can make a huge, big difference just in general. Other, as I look out the windows here at CAMOX, I see there's still some of the oak trees still holding onto the leaves. But there are some of the oak trees, too, that are just, I mean, growing very close by that have dropped all their leaves. Every year, things can be certainly a little bit different. 
We have sugar maples around our house as street trees. One of the sugar maples, or two of them, have pretty much lost all their leaves. The, th- the third one still is holding on to some leaves, not a whole lot. But some of the leaves are at the end of the branches, and they're, in, they're all webbed up. So that's where the fall webworm actually had, you know, they laid their eggs, a female did, and then, you know, the eggs hatch, and then they form this webbing to protect themselves from, let's say, something coming up and attacking them, eating them, or whatever. So these clusters, what will happen is those will fall off in the springtime, they'll land on the ground, and then they'll virtually go from eggs to caterpillars, and then from caterpillars, then they're going to go to adults. And so that's how these, these problems continue to go on. Other things that you know, could possibly happen, too, in your landscape is just walking on, let's say, a lawn that is really, I don't want it, frosted or cold. You can really do some damage to your lawn. You can't possibly stay off your lawn. And if you live in the city, a lot of times the mailmen, the delivery people will cut across your lawn to drop off packages or to, to, to deliver your mail. And so you can't do too much about it, but just realize that those are the kind of things that you need to be a little bit more concerned with. So if you do have any questions or concerns, we've got some open lines, 314-436-7900 or 1-800-925-1120. So why don't I take a break now? We'll give you a chance to give us a call. Mike Miller, KMOX Garden Hotline. This is the St. Louis Composting Garden Hotline with your host, Mike Miller on KMOX. Yes, folks, 314-436-7900 or 1-800-925-1120. we got about uh, 10 minutes or so to go for the show, so if you do have any questions. Then at 10 o'clock, the Rick Edelman Show. 11 o'clock, the Helitech Foundation Repair Home Improvement Show. Then 1 o'clock, Rick Edelman Show again, a different show, obviously, but uh, same host. 3 o'clock, the Business of Family Business with Ryan Recker. 4 o'clock, Health Matters presented by SSM Health with Fred Bottomer. 5 o'clock, the KMOX Auto Show with Greg Damon. And then at 6 o'clock, the Dave Sinclair Lincoln and Ford Sports Open Line with Alex Ferraro and Greg Damon. So lots of stuff after the Garden Hotline today. Let's head to O'Fallon, Illinois, and see what's going on with Doug. Doug, how are you? Hi, Mike. Good morning. Hi. I had a question. We uh, moved into a new house in the fall, and the, the front yard was in per- the front lawn was in pretty bad shape. We aerated last year and put out seed. Uh, I've got some seed left over. Uh, was a lot of crabgrass issue. My question is, does it do me any good to throw that out now um, if we're planning to do crabgrass preventer in spring, or do we need to wait until um, some period of time after the crabgrass preventer goes on to put that out? Yeah, the crabgrass preventer, any type of pre-emergent will kill any type of seed. So uh, your seed is, you know, if you threw it out now, it's not going to germinate until the ground warms up. That's the same time when the crabgrass is warming up. That's the same time when you're going to be putting out the pre-emergent. So it would be just a waste of time and money and effort. So I'd probably hold on to your grass seed and not bother putting it out until you're going to put your pre-emergent out for the crabgrass control about the same time the yellow forsythia is in bloom because that sort of indicates what the soil temperature is right for seed germination. Then you're going to wait for another month or two until probably mid-May, then I'd put the grass seed out at that time. 
Okay, great. Thank you very much. Certainly. And uh, here's, a, here's a little tip. If you do have a female dog, and female dogs, their urine, the pH, again, I'm, how many times has he said pH today? pH is really high. That's what causes those burn spots in your lawn areas. And there is a grass saver type dog biscuit, which will change the female dog's, let's say, chemistry of the urine. And what it is, it's really kind of wild and crazy. But you have to go to like the major pet stores to probably find this. But if you want to give it a try and uh, see what happens, it would be certainly worth your time. One of the companies that makes this available is uh, Nature, or Nature Vet, and that will reduce the pH, actually, and make it more acidic or more neutral of your female dog urine. Doris lives in Arnold. Doris, how are you today? I'm fine. Thank you very much. How are you today? Very good. Um, my question is concerning some points that as I had from last year and the um, top branches uh, turned white mm-hmm. and are looking very nice. But my question is what I do in the summer is normally put them outside. So I'm wondering if I want to trim them at some time. I mean, they are pretty bushy, but my concern is, I don't know how much taller they should get. They're around 18 inches high, I guess, at this point. Well, they can get really quite large. So just understand that. You can prune. I I would probably do the pruning right before you're ready to move them outside. Oh, okay. All right. And just prune from the top mostly in order for them to bush out more. Would that be what I want to do? Uh, you're probably you're not going to force a whole lot of growth. They're never going to be really thick and dense. They're always going to have an open habit. Okay. So okay. just I mean, so, sort of selectively prune, and just you're not going to change. Let's say the whole ass or the whole fat. Let's say the whole shape, the whole the amount of leaves or anything else in general on the poinsettia. Okay, and I also transplanted them before I brought them inside. Mm-hmm. So would it be necessary to transplant them again into a larger pot or just leave them alone? I would probably leave them alone. Okay, all right. That was kind of my thinking as well. Right. So, all right, thank you very much. Thank you, Doris. And anybody, with the house plants, we keep thinking we need to put them in bigger pots. You don't really need to put plants into a bigger pot until you start to see, let's say, root systems coming out of the drainage holes in the bottom. That's really kind of a, a real good way to tell. We, our tendency sometimes if we transplant house plants into larger pots, we're creating more problems than we are good because the root binding that is created by the pot size that they're currently in can be to the advantage of the plant. Yes, some of them will do fine and they'll get bigger and bigger and bigger, but just do realize that, you know, sometimes they don't acclimate really well to a larger pot. Sometimes they will, so it's going to be particular specific plants and specific growing conditions. Randy lives in Sunset Hills. Randy, how are you? All right, well, thank you, Michael. I have a question about my African violets. Mm-hmm. I bought them last fall and they're beautiful leaves, uh, but the leaves are in the 10 o'clock and 2 o'clock position, and below it is two inches of empty stem where old leaves used to be. It looks like kind of like a corn stalk. <laughs> uh, but the leaves are healthy. 
So and usually they, they this grow constantly. Yeah, I mean it's usually it's kind of surprising that you actually have a stem with uh, you know an elongated stem with just leaves at the very top. So mm-hmm. have were there leaves there? You know when you actually bought these plants, there were leaves on a lower portion, but as it grew taller, um, the leaves just started pointing up. It would still flower, right? I would. Then I have an empty stem. Yeah, I would say, you know, my guess is there's something that's not exactly quite right, either the amount of light they're getting or something, because they shouldn't be losing their lower leaves like that, you know, at all. The fact that they're still producing leaves and still flowering says they're, you know, they're healthy to a certain point. But this is this elongation of, let's say, a trunk of an African violet is really kind of unusual. That's the first time it ever happened to me. Yeah. So, uh, you know, I. They need more light. They need. Are you fertilizing them with African violet food? Uh, not in the winter. I haven't. No. Okay. Well, you, so if you're fertilizing normally and everything else during, I would say it's probably just related to the amount of light they're getting. Yeah, they're in a, in a full, well, it's an east window. Right. So half a day it gets all sun. Yeah, and it sounds like you probably have experience growing them before. So it may mm-hmm. be variety wise with these. It's the shop and save variety. <laughs> <laughs> so, well, uh, you know, whatever. But uh, it's just, it's, you know, that that's really kind of an unusual circumstance or situation. What you might do is, you know, contact the African Violet Society and find out what they think about, you know, what's causing this. I'll do that. Yeah, you can just go to the Missouri Botanical Garden because they have their meetings there. Go to their website and find out how, who to contact at the African Violet Society. Very good. Thank you so much. I appreciate it. Certainly. Yeah, it's just, you know, there's something really strange with this. Centralia, Illinois is where Craig lives. Hi, Craig. Good morning, Mike. Hi. Thank you for your service. Uh, I have a question about boxwoods. I have some boxwoods that I did not get trimmed this summer. Can I trim those now? I don't like to prune, you know, any kind of evergreens in the winter, you know, this time of year. I would say wait until... We're coming out, let's say Valentine's Day. That's the day I always like to use. When we're okay. probably pretty much sure that the severe weather is over and then prune them at that time before the new growth begins. Okay, great. That's what I'll do. Great. Thank you. Yep. And Lori lives in the University City. Hi, Lori. Good morning, Mike. Hi. I, uh, Happy New Year. I um, have a couple questions. One, I called in the fall, and I have a smoke bush, mm-hmm. and... Um, I think I told you I was looking out my window and there are these like abnormally well long shoots and they're inc- they're like I'm looking at my window now they're like four feet long and they're you know it's a bushy bush and then it's these shoots and I thought I didn't trim them in the fall and right. I didn't know when you do trim them. So are, is this growth off the trunks or is this new growth coming off the base out of the ground? Um, no, it's off the trunks. Yeah, so. If you want to prune them, you could pretty much do it. What you know, during the winter time, day like this, you could get out and do it. Just leave a relative, relatively short stub of about a quarter inch or so. Okay, I don't actually know. Did I say it's? A, I think it's more of a smoke tree. Yeah, but smoke. But it's tree. okay to do it today. Yeah, sure. Okay. No. no, um, no. My other question is: I took some Persian shield that were in the ground all fall, and I pulled them up before they died, and I put them in pots inside my kitchen. And are they, I mean, will they sustain themselves through the winter? Uh, it's going to be just kind of a hit-and-miss type thing, but they should be able to. I mean, they're, you know, they're a tropical plant. 
They're mm-hmm. really striking and spectacular with that silver kind of look to them. So you should have you know some adequate or decent luck with them. Just depends upon you know the overall health and actual individual situation where you're trying to grow them. Okay, okay. And the last one was pencil cactus. Um, I have one, and it's it's when I looked it up, it said not to water it at all in the winter. Right. And it just looks. It's that's a hard thing for me to do. So really, just and I I moved it from a place in the kitchen where it didn't get much light to a third bedroom where it's going to get some direct light. That would certainly help. But uh, I mean, you don't. You could water it, but uh, you could cause real problems with rotting the root system if you do water. So just be really, really cautious and careful. Okay. Well, I, I watered it, and I just won't water it again. Yeah, exactly. Okay. And they don't really require any water? Not during the wintertime because the days are, are really short and everything else. But, yeah, during the growing season, yeah, they will need some, you know, let's say water. Okay. Well, excellent. Thank you again for your service. And, um... I appreciate it. Great. Well, thanks to you, Mike Miller, KMOX Garden Hotline. I will see you next week. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance, too, with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law.